0: Hey, it's Brian with a quick announcement before we get started. You know, this time of year especially, we're always aware of how quickly time flies. So let me suggest to you that it's not too early to start thinking now about your Christmas shopping for 2022. And I've got the perfect recommendation for all the Christmas lovers in your life. Christmas Past The Book is coming in the fall of 2022 from Lyons Press. Stay connected with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates on events, giveaways, pre ordering, publication dates, all that stuff. Thanks. Enjoy the episode.
1: Now, driver, I want you to stop at the very first road you come to, understand? All right, boo. Here. They through the in a one horse
0: open. What we're listening to right now is an old wax cylinder from 1898. You're hearing the Edison Mail Quartet on a record called Sleigh Ride Party. The record features some short skits and other songs including the familiar one you're hearing now. At the time this record was made, Jingle Bells, as the song is now known, was only a few decades old, making this among the earliest surviving recordings of the song. Now let's fast forward 67 years to 1965 and hear another rendition. Roger, Houston, and The voice you heard was that of Wally Shearer. He and Tom Stafford were the astronauts on NASA's Gemini 6. They made history for completing the first rendezvous of a spacecraft that had a live crew on board with another spacecraft. But they also made history in another way. Because they had smuggled a harmonica and sleigh bells onto the craft. And on December 16th, Shearer contacted Mission Control to say that he had detected an object, possibly a satellite, about to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, we have an object, looks like a satellite
1: uh, going from north to
0: south. Probably to... And he was going to try to patch through a signal to mission control. And then, taking everyone by surprise, Shearer and Stafford pulled out their smuggled instruments to play a rendition of Jingle Bells. Not only was it a truly epic prank, but it also marked the first song ever to be broadcast from space. Not bad for a little song that very well could have gone the way of similar music of the time, lost to history or hidden in the pages of obscure anthologies. Jingle Bells is synonymous with Christmas, even though it never mentions Christmas. It's one of the first Christmas songs children learn. It's an evergreen beginner's piano piece, and it brings to mind those idealized and sentimental images of snow and fun that go hand-in-mitten with the season. But there is much, much more to the story of Jingle Bells than you ever could have imagined. Tracing the story of one of the best-known Christmas songs will take us through minstrel halls, sleigh-ride culture, and a feud between two American towns, each insisting on being the true birthplace of the song—a feud that's still going on today. I'm Brian Earle. This is Christmas Past. According to a plaque in Medford, Massachusetts, a man named James Lord Pierpont wrote the song that would go on to become known as Jingle Bells in a tavern there in 1850.
1: 1850 is absolutely incorrect. He is not even in Medford in 1850. The song didn't get copyrighted until 1857.
0: That's Keena Hamill. She's the director of the core Curriculum at Boston University and also a reference volunteer for the Medford Historical Society and Museum. We'll get back to the place of authorship debate a little bit later. First, let's talk about the author himself. James Lord Pierpont, Confederate soldier, son of an abolitionist minister, uncle to the financier J.P. Morgan. He was an interesting fellow.
1: And James, uh, I think, was probably a bit of a disappointment. Um, He moved around all the time. He had many, many, many different professions. He abandoned his children in 1857. I think they ended up having to go live with an uncle in Troy, New York. Um, He just lived for
0: himself. He was one of those guys who's not quite what you'd call an entrepreneur, but more like the kind who would find almost any way he could to make a buck. He ran off to join the California Gold Rush, did random work as a photographer, wrote songs for the Confederacy, and in 1857, he published a song titled The One Horse Open Sleigh.
1: It is a song that was written specifically for a Boston minstrel troupe.
0: And this is where things get uncomfortable. Minstrel shows were a form of theater where white men, playing both male and female roles, would darken their skin with makeup and burlesque popular stories and narratives while doing supposedly comical reenactments of racial stereotypes. In fact, that Edison male quartet we heard earlier often performed minstrel songs.
1: The middle of the 19th century minstrel tradition, it really starts in the United States in the 1830s. And it becomes extremely popular because it was performance tradition for a working class audience.
0: And one such minstrel theater was Ordway Hall in downtown Boston, where James Lord Pierpont's new song was performed in blackface for the first time in 1857. Now, again, Jingle Bells is not explicitly about Christmas, or any holiday at all, for that matter. It's about sleigh rides. And while nowadays sleigh rides conjure images of nostalgic postcard Christmases, in the 19th century, sleigh rides and sleigh culture, which, yes, was very much a thing, had a different meaning.
1: Sleigh riding was actually, or the omnibus sleigh riding, was a necessary part of moving about Boston in the 19th century, moving about Boston and also New York, so the northern climate. So you had to actually move around and they would would have these adapted ships in some cases that were turned into omnibuses and they would basically carry people around like mass transit on slaves.
0: And from that ubiquity and cultural importance came a common sleigh ride narrative.
1: You can see it in the visual culture. You can see it in a lot of the songs. There's many more sleigh ride songs other than just jingle bells. There's kind of a conventional aspect to a lot of the sleigh ride songs, poems, and stories. And you can even see it in the visual culture. There's a courtship ritual. There is some kind of male display. There is usually an, a drinking involved, likely. Um, in some ways. There is an upset in some ways. So that there's a kind of falling out of the sleigh. And then there is music involved. So one of the aspects of the sleigh ride narrative is to sing about the whole experience of going out into the sleigh.
0: So if sleigh ride culture inspired so many songs, why is Jingle Bells the only one that's still around? There are a couple of ways to explain this. One of them has to do with the relationship between the original music publisher, Oliver Gibson, and Ordway Hall in Boston.
1: Right next door to Ordway Hall is a place called Oliver Gibson and Company, which is the place that publishes the music that would have been performed in the hall. So imagine if you attended a minstrel performance, you liked the music... And then you went next door and you could purchase the sheet music and then you could take it home and you could play it on the piano at home.
0: This was at a time when more and more homes had pianos. We're still several years away from recorded music and several more still from radio. If you heard music in your home, it was usually because someone bought the sheet music and played it on the home piano. Secondly, in a very James Lord Pierpont move, he republished the song in 1859. And that's when the song got its now familiar title. The
1: first publication is, is um, One Horse Open Sleigh. And then the 1859 is Jingle Bells or the One Horse Open Sleigh. And that's James Pierpont kind of republishing it. Most likely, he, he made a little bit more money by republishing it and just retitling it.
0: And that brings us back to where we started, to that plaque in Medford, Massachusetts, claiming that in 1850, Pierpont wrote the song at a local tavern. There's another side to this story, which goes a little something like this. In 1857, Pierpont was living in Savannah, Georgia, where he was the musical director of a Unitarian church. And some people have claimed that he wrote the song while he was living there. It convinced enough people that in 1985, the mayor of Savannah erected a commemorative marker across the street from that church and that didn't sit too well with the folks in Medford. So, a few years later, the mayor of Medford wrote an angry letter to the mayor of Savannah, declaring Medford to have the true and rightful claim. To which, the mayor of Savannah replied with an angry letter of his own, standing his ground. And this is where we still are today, nearly 30 years later, with both places claiming ownership and neither side willing to budge, and not too much to go on in terms of settling the score once and for all. So, we'll just have to leave things there, for now. Well, you know, as one of the best-known Christmas carols, it's highly likely that you'd hear jingle bells if a group of carolers came knocking on your door. Do people still do that? You bet they do. Just ask Mark in Utah. I want to share a sweet Christmas memory that I cherish. We moved into our house in 1996 and promptly began caroling to the neighbors on our street every Christmas Eve. Many of our neighbors later told us how much it has meant for their Christmas celebrations to have us come to their house and carol. A few years ago my wife was battling cancer and we were unable to get out and do our Christmas Eve caroling. We were sitting in our front room that Christmas Eve and the doorbell rang and when we opened the door there were some of our friends and neighbors caroling to us. It was so wonderful to receive back the love and Christmas spirit that we have tried to give others throughout the years. Thanks for all that you do, Brian, and keep up the Christmas spirit. I have lots of great memories involving caroling, whether it was at school or my grandmother's church or my experience in the Cub Scouts or even just us neighborhood kids spreading good cheer around the cul-de-sac. We need more caroling, I say, so thanks to Mark and people like him for keeping this important tradition alive. If you'd like to share a Christmas memory this season, well, it's super easy. Just record a voice memo into your phone and send it to christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. Try to keep it to about a minute, clean and family-friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thanks so much to Keena Hamill and Mark in Utah. Hey, this season is just getting started. Let's make it one of the best yet. And let's do it together as one big Christmas Past family. We can stay connected all throughout the season. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and join our private Christmas Past Facebook group. And you can drop a line anytime with a Christmas memory, or just to say hi. Again, the address is christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. I love to hear from you, and I try my best to respond to every message I get. And if you're really feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover the show? It's as easy as telling a friend about it, or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do leave a review, I'll send you a Christmas past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card as my way of saying thanks. Reach out for details on that. I'll be back again in just a couple of days with an all-new episode. Until then, may your days be merry and bright.